The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm a little bit unimpressed of the discipline and the training level of the Russian forces. As bad and as horrific as this is, we want to make sure that we do not see an escalation. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. My sense is that commodity prices will remain very high, elevated, certainly over the next few months, probably the first half of the year. You Republicans want to give Democrats a victory on getting tough with China. On a political basis, the answer is no. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's looking more like a stalemate in Ukraine. As President Biden warns of a Russian cyber attack now against the U.S., the same day, confirmation hearings begin for Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's historic nomination to the Supreme Court. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. I hope you had a great weekend and a decent Monday. We're going to have the latest for you on the war. And as Ukraine asks for a no-fly zone and fighter jets, we're going to talk about controlling the skies and what that mission actually would involve with military analyst and former naval aviator Ward Carroll, who helped enforce the no-fly zone over Iraq. Bloomberg Law host June Grasso joins us a bit later. Her take on the Senate confirmation hearings day one, and we'll have the signature panel for you. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are in place for the hour. Important developments to begin with here around the war in Ukraine. As President Biden prepares for his trip to Europe, they've now added Poland. If you weren't paying attention last night, we told you that would likely happen. Brussels and Poland, end of the week today. President Biden issued a warning about a Russian cyber attack against the U.S. Yeah, not Ukraine, the U.S. Issuing a statement that says Russia, quote, could conduct malicious cyber activity against the United States, including as a response to the unprecedented economic costs we've imposed. <laughs> Throwing the whole thing back on himself. Evolving intelligence, the administration has. that the Russian government is exploring options for potential cyber attacks, he says, the U.S. private sector should harden your cyber defense immediately. But, of course, if you're just getting that message now, you're probably a little late. Big headline over the weekend, the Sunday shows into this Monday, was the stalemate. The Russian advance stalled, refocusing its military campaign in Ukraine on the east and above all the port city of Mariupol. It's just horrifying images over the weekend. The idea here is as things get bogged down, a stalemate is not good, by the way. That might sound like, oh, Ukraine is winning or, or something, but no, that means Russia can continue bombing civilian areas with the brutality that we've already seen. And now hypersonic missiles are flying into Ukraine. It means it could last much longer. As we heard from the former defense secretary on this program last week, Mark Esper, say this is going to be months and that's why, of course, President Zelensky is asking for a no-fly zone, something he's not going to get. At least not yet. Then again, the fighter jets, well, we're still talking about that, too. They're still parked in Poland. 
Interesting to hear from Wesley Clark today, the former NATO Supreme Allied Commander. He was on C-SPAN. He said, give him the jets. Some people say they're not pliable. Some people say they're not in good condition. Uh, all that may be true. Uh, but the Ukrainians have about 50 combat aircraft. They're using them very carefully. They're up against some 200 Russian sorties a day. They need help. Uh, and if they want those aircraft and they say they'll help, I'm all in favor of getting them in there. This is where we begin with Ward Carroll back with us on the program today. Retired U.S. Navy commander, flew combat missions in the F-14. This guy was the real thing, the real top gun. He was radar intercept officer, which makes him even cooler than Goose. Author, host of the Ward Carroll YouTube channel, also helped enforce the fly zone over Iraq. This is the type of person we want to bring you every night here on Sound On with a first-hand experience to let us understand more about what everyone thinks they know a lot about. Ward Carroll, it's great to have you back. Thank you for being here. When you first heard this request for a no-fly zone, and even some largely Republican members of Congress calling for it, what was your reaction? Um, well, it's unreasonable in this circumstance unless you want to have direct confrontation with the Russians, because that's a predicate for the creation of a no-fly zone. And mm-hmm. Joe, as you mentioned, I did Operation Southern Watch over southern Iraq twice in 95, 96, and then 97, 98. And this was created by Desert Storm. And we had local air superiority. We knew where all the SAM sites were. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to operate. And the reason we had that no-fly zone was to make sure that the status quo was maintained that was affected by Desert Storm. Also, we were complying with a U.N. resolution. So it wasn't nation-state on nation-state. It was yeah. U.N. versus a nation-state that had been in violation um, of the U.N. mandate. And so if we were to shoot down during the course of doing Operation Southern Watch an Iraqi MiG-25, it would not be an act of war. It would be mm-hmm. complying with the resolution. So in this case... You know, a lot of people are calling for a no-fly zone, and then they call it a humanitarian no-fly zone, which is somehow different than a regular no-fly zone. But the first (laughs) thing we would have to do is do an integrated air defense rollback, which means we're going to have to take out the S-400 sites that are located in sovereign Russia. So already you've – it's an understatement, so you've upped the ante. Wow. So a no-fly zone – just want to slow you down a little bit, Ward, so we can follow along. That The no-fly zone – would begin with attacking targets on the ground in Russia. If you want to do it right, yes. Got it. And and so you have to eliminate the threat to NATO aircraft from the ground, not to mention from the air. Mm-hmm. And then what is your rule what are the rules of engagement associated with incursions by Russian airplanes? You know, do you have to wait to have them fire at you right. before you can fire back if they lock you up and you will know this? with your warning gear in the cockpit, are you authorized at that point to fire? So these are all the devil in the details part, not to mention the logistics of executing a no-fly zone, because it has to be 24-7. That's right. So tankers, warning aircraft, um, you know, all kinds of moving parts, which we know how to do, and we can do these well. But the outcome is going to be, just to cut to the chase, a, uh, you know, a a Russian on American uh, interaction, which will result, my guess would be, a Russian airplane being shot down. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? What does that do to the calculus here? It was, it's a game changer. So let me ask you, that said, Ward Carroll, 
Would the MiG-29s from Poland be a game changer for Ukraine? Would that help them so-called close the skies, as President Zelensky says? So I kind of feel what General Clark said with respect to that. If the Ukrainians say it'll help, then let's just give it, give them to them. Mm-hmm. Right? There's so many Monday morning quarterbacks in the mix. You know, President Zelensky is no idiot. So if his Air Force is advising him we could use those airplanes, then yeah. let's see to getting them those airplanes. Um, so that's kind of where I, I come down on that. I can tell you from the legend of the ghost of Kiev to the other things that they've done against overwhelming odds, their Air Force uh, has shown itself to be very capable. The ghost of Kiev, that, this is the fighter pilot who was knocking Russians out of the air, right? Ace in a day by, wow. by rumor. So that's a real um, so thing. So he shot down six airplanes in, in one day. Um, and uh, so I'm biased to believing that that was true. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, freedom versus evil. Um, <laughs> I, I think that these are a, a, a good people capable of that kind of uh, that kind of thing. So, Ward, what can we give them? We've heard him ask. I think it was the, the S-300s he was asking for specifically in his address to Congress. Ground to air missiles. Or is there is there equipment that we could give them or already giving them that that has a similar effect to a no fly zone? Can they close the skies from the ground? Yes. Good point, Joe. So, yes, the S-300s from Turkey would be great. We should give them Patriot missiles, which are a highly capable surface-to-air missile, because right now the threat is cruise missiles and artillery. So if we can't close the skies with airplanes, we need to close the skies with ground capability that shoots into the skies. So, yes, we can certainly do more and give them more capability, more robust systems to uh, stop this, uh, the siege that they're undergoing here. And as you described in the setup, it's getting worse and worse. Yeah. When you consider President Biden uh, heading to Poland next week, it, it just makes us think more of what is on that eastern flank, our eastern European NATO allies. Ward, are, are we already flying missions over those countries uh, to create essentially a no-fly zone there? Obviously, Russia uh, it would be an act of war if Russia crossed the border and went in that direction. But are we already uh, presenting a strength? Are we showing our posture as a military there now? Yes. There are B-52s on 24-hour cap stations, combat air patrol stations. There are aircraft from the USS Harry S. Truman that's located in the Adriatic. There are Air Force assets. There are NATO assets. Yes, we are definitely giving, giving them a very robust presentation on the border uh, with Ukraine from our NATO allies. More than just the troops on the ground. In our remaining couple of minutes then, Ward, give us a sense of, you know what it's like to be serving in a carrier group as a naval aviator. What are these uh, F-18 pilots, what are the helicopter pilots, and, and even the crew on the ships preparing for? Uh, should there there be an air war that breaks out? We have no idea where this is going to be in three to six months, and I'm sure that the United States Navy and Marine Corps are busy preparing for whatever it is. Yeah, wherever your aircraft carriers go, the air crew are planning for strikes in those regions. You know, we never know where the hotspot's going to be in a very unpredictable world. So yeah. right now, my guess, and I don't have any intelligence to suggest this is actually going on, but my guess, based on the fact that I've been there, is they are planning strikes on Ukraine and maybe even sovereign Russia that would, if the bubble goes up, yep. this would be the first uh, you know, opening overture of the war, um, or they're also planning if the president or 
EU or whomever, NATO, uh, says, let's go ahead and execute a no-fly zone. They're, they're planning how they would plug into the joint and uh, combined arena with NATO to affect that. That would be Super Hornets, like you said, yeah. um, Growlers, which are our jamming airplanes, yeah. and our E-2 Hawkeyes, which are the airborne early warning airplanes, which would work with the AWACS, the Air Force version. Just uh, imagine to create the sky. what they're going through now. Ward so Carroll, fascinating conversation. Ward, we could do an hour uh, anytime, and I'm delighted that you are here. Just picture him in the backseat of an F-14 over Iraq if you want to complete the picture with Ward Carroll. Look for him on YouTube. We'll assemble the panel next on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It goes to show you shouldn't always listen to politicians about technical matters. In this case, a no-fly zone. Sure, you can have principle for or against it, but when you listen to Ward Carroll just now on Bloomberg Sound On, you learn that if we were going to do it right, we'd have to take out all the SAM sites, the surface-to-air missile sites, over the border in Russia. Not to mention the attack ships off the coast in the Black Sea. We'd have to take them out too, right? If they have missiles that could knock out American aircraft over Ukraine. So just put that in the pipe for a minute here. That means we're potentially at war with Russia before there's anything close to a no-fly zone. Let's assemble the panel. We'll talk about this and a few other things here that we learned today, including this warning about a cyber attack. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, are with us. Rick, what's your take uh, on this? Uh, Having heard from Ward Carroll, send the MiGs, forget the no-fly zone. Is that it? Send the MiGs, forget the no-fly zone, but also send them all the Russia stuff that NATO has. I mean, they know how to use this stuff, the the S-300s, the SA-8s, and and, and flood the zone. Um, Give them as much lethality as you can uh, that they can actually use. It doesn't do any good to send a bunch of equipment from the U.S. that they would need a lot of time and a lot of effort to understand how to operate. Yeah. Wesley Clark, we heard from uh, during that conversation a couple minutes ago. He was on C-SPAN this morning, the former NATO Supreme Allied Commander, echoing what you were saying here, Rick. Listen to this. I was in favor of not declaring a no-fly zone necessarily, but put the onus on, on the Russians. That's, that is Ukrainian airspace. If they invite us in, why shouldn't we go in? If the Russians want to confront NATO, that's their problem, not our problem. But we've somehow accepted this line of argument that it would be our problem if we did something. So we're on the one hand defending a rules-based international order, but on the other hand, not following our own legal construct. Is he just being a tough guy there, Rick, or is he right? No, he's absolutely right. It's just that, you know, Russia plays from a different set of rules than we do. I mean, there would be no hesitation uh, on the part of Vladimir Putin of launching anti-aircraft missiles, either on the sea or from Russia land, uh, to knock out our planes that fly over Ukraine. And then we've escalated this, you know, beyond the the no going back zone. So So it's not just uh, Russia's problem. It's our problem. Exactly. 
What do you think, Jeannie, uh, having had a weekend to let all of this distill and listening to these conversations, there's going to be a bill that comes out of the Senate likely this week that will that will direct potentially new sanctions. Do you worry about lawmakers directing more of this type of activity, whether it's a no fly zone, send the MIGs? Where's your heart on this? You know, I I don't worry about them directing the sanctions, um, although I think those can be taken care of at the executive level. I don't have a problem with that. I have had uh, certain challenges with this attempt to sort of circumvent the Pentagon, if you will. I think you do have to leave it to the experts in terms of specifically what should be done on the ground. It's one thing for congressmen and women to, you know, say that we support the delivery of these MIGs or we support the no-fly zone, but you've got to leave it up to the experts in the military arena who who know what it's going to take to execute this. And, you know, I I think one of the challenges here, you know, listening to what Ward was saying and then what you and Rick were just talking about is that the president is not acting unilaterally. He's going over to Europe. He was speaking to the leaders today. And the real question on my mind is what is what more deliverables can we see happening mm-hmm. as a collective once they get over there? We still haven't gotten a good answer to that. You know, more sanctions. We're running out of sanctions to a certain extent. Yeah. And then you get into this question of humanitarian peacekeeping missions like Poland wants. Mm-hmm. Those are big commitments on the part not just of the United States, but Europe specifically. I want to ask you about this uh, prospect of, uh, of a cyber attack, not against Ukraine, as I said, but against the U.S. We're always concerned about, well, what happens if we step a foot into Ukraine? We're talking about the potential for a Russian attack on the United States. Ann Neuberger is the Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber, showed up at the White House press briefing today. To be clear, there is no certainty there will be a cyber incident on critical infrastructure. So why am I here? because this is a call to action and a call to responsibility for all of us. At the President's direction, the administration has worked extensively over the last year to prepare to meet this sort of threat. She says, Jeannie, federal agencies briefed more than 100 companies on the elevated threat of cyber attacks last week. Have they done enough? Is absolutely important. You know, several questions come to mind. One big question is how does the U.S. respond if indeed there is a cyber attack, whether it's on corporations, the private sector, the nonprofit sector, critical infrastructure, certainly. Mm -hmm. Do we consider that an attack worthy of, you know, responding to? And, And the other thing I would just say is that, you know, our critical infrastructure is is infamously underprepared yeah, for these right. kinds of attacks. And we've seen that in the last couple of years. And so this is a very, very scary proposition, although we should underscore, she also said today, there's no intelligence. There will be a well, cyber attack, right. but they are setting out this warning. What's your take on this, Rick? Is that an act of war if we're if we're subject to a cyber attack like the one that's being described? Let's bring up Rick, please. Uh, If it's an act of war, it's already war with Russia because we have been having attacks from Russia uh, to our cybersecurity systems uh, all over the United States for quite some time, including during this period of time. So uh, I I think that we have to decide what we're what we're prepared to do offensively and will we respond. There's a lot more there. Rick and Jeannie stay with us for the hour. We're going to bring in June Grasso coming up as we have an historic confirmation hearing already underway today in Washington. This is Bloomberg. 
great write-up on the terminal if you were not able to follow day one of confirmation hearings. Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, did anyone cover this for real? Remember the last several, the Trump appointees was wall-to-wall, roadblock coverage, long form, every minute. The horns played, hours of hearings, lots of golf voices from anchors. There's a senator. Today it was, you know, they gaveled it and everybody bailed. Of course, the good stuff comes tomorrow. Today, again, was a day of listening to Republican senators on the panel vowing, as I read from Greg Storr's piece, to scrutinize Judge Brown's approach toward the Constitution. She spoke last today. If I am confirmed, I commit to you that I will work productively to support and defend the Constitution and this grand experiment of American democracy that has endured over these past 246 years. Now, a lot of questions, as I just mentioned, about judicial philosophy. We heard this before anyone got in the room today. Republicans suggesting that, well, she didn't have one. And so Judge Jackson did get into some broad language, at least around the way in which she might rule. I have been a judge for nearly a decade now, and I take that responsibility and my duty to be independent very seriously. I decide cases from a neutral posture. I evaluate the the facts and I interpret and apply the law to the facts of the case before me without fear or favor, consistent with my judicial oath. So take that for what it is. After we did hear from a number of members of the panel, including Senator Lindsey Graham, former chair of the Judiciary Committee, that it is a problem if you don't have a judicial philosophy. Of course, Lindsey Graham had a lot of problems today. If you're Hispanic or African-American conservative, it's about your philosophy. Now it's going to be about the historic nature of the pick. It's going to be about your philosophy. The bottom line here is when it is about philosophy, when it's somebody of color on our side, it's about we're all racist if we ask hard questions, it's not going to fly with us. We're used to it by now, at least I am. So it's not going to matter a bit to any of us. We're going to ask you what we think you need to be asked. And Senator Hawley, you need to ask her about her record as a uh, district court judge. You should. I hope you do. Well, and, but you know, he, Josh Hawley, he, well, he did. He's very concerned about her record on child pornography cases as telegraphed ahead of today's hearing. What concerns me, and I've been very candid about this, is that in every case, in each of these seven, Judge Jackson handed down a lenient sentence that was below what the federal guidelines recommended and below what prosecutors requested. And so I think there's a lot to talk about there, and I look forward to talking about it. That's going to start tomorrow with the questions. They each get 50 minutes, five zero minutes each questioning. They'll go into Wednesday. Just imagine what June Grasso was thinking as all this took place. Bloomberg Law host June Grasso joins us now. I was thinking, could they take yeah. 40 minutes away from Josh Hawley? Well, okay, so you're not a fan, but uh, it did give us a bit of a roadmap today, June, for what's coming, right? Right, and I have to say that when Judge 
Jackson was nominated, I believe I said, well, these hearings are going to be a little bit dull because she has this long record. And certainly when she was up for the D.C. Circuit, they didn't touch any of these topics. Nothing was mentioned about child pornographers or anything like that. But I was I think I was wrong. I hope you don't hold that yeah. against me. No. But it looks like they're the Republicans are going to try to paint her with a broad brush that she's soft on crime. I mean, today they were talking about, mm -hmm. I think it was Senator Cotton who was talking about the you know, Biden administration being soft on crime. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is going to be something that we hear, I think, over and over again it's, as the Republicans ask her questions. Interesting to hear what this, from many Republican members, what this hearing would not be. And if, by the way, I could play it what the Democratic members said, but I think you can imagine... It was about her wonderful resume and how qu well qualified she was uh, for the job. Uh, Ted Cruz expressing probably better than any Republican member of the panel how angry the party still is about Brett Kavanaugh. Listen. No one is going to inquire into your teenage dating habits. No one is going to ask you with mock severity, do you like beer? But that's not to say this hearing should be non-substantive and non-vigorous. In this hearing, this committee has a responsibility to focus on issues, to focus on your record, to focus on substance, to do our very best to ascertain what kind of justice you would be. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I had to bring everybody back, by the way, because not everyone might, maybe not everyone remembers the beer thing. Just bear with me, humor me, uh, June Grasso. This brings us back to 2018 Brett Kavanaugh. Dr. Ford has described you as being intoxicated at a party. Did you consume alcohol during your high school years? Yes, we drank beer. Uh, my friends and I, the boys and girls, yes, we drank beer. I liked beer, still like beer. And they're still remembering that, June. I know. They totally forgot about the confirmation hearings that came in between, which was Amy Coney Barrett. Well, and that's I true. think those were very sort of serene, demure More above board. hearings. Yeah. Yes. So why all of a sudden are they back to Kavanaugh is my question. Well, when they showed what could be done with Amy Coney Barrett. And, you know, Judge Katanji Jackson deserves the same treatment. So give us a sense, June, what the business at hand, what are we going to hear about Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's record tomorrow? Well, I think that, you know, from the Democrats, as you say, you're going to hear about her 10 years as a district court judge and the decision she handed down that she was reversed very rarely. And you're going to hear about her years on the Sentencing Commission, probably, and how her recommendations were part of unanimous recommendations from the commission and the Republicans approved of those. So I think that's what you'll hear from them. Um, on the other side, as you said, you're going to hear about judicial philosophy. Ted Cruz said he's going to ask about abortion, 
religious liberties, yep. um, free speech, gun rights, and crime. He's not going to get an answer to any of those questions. Well, that's right. And most actually won't, right? I mean, when you start exactly. asking about specific issues, the modern Supreme Court nominee is not going to answer them. I realize that was not always the case. But you know what? The other one we got a, a little bit of a preview on, June, was from Mitch McConnell yesterday. They want to ask her for her feelings on court stacking. Is that something she can answer? She won't answer that either. In fact, she hasn't answered it in a past hearing, um, or at least in a past uh, I'm not sure if it was a hearing that they asked her at, about it or at a, a conference or not gonna something. Not going to go there. No, because, you know, why they, they cite Justices Stephen Breyer and the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but they said that once they were on the court, they gave their opinions about court packing, not before they got on the court. Huh. And if you remember, I mean, do you remember back to Justice Neil Gorsuch? It seems like you decades sure. ago. But it anyway, does, actually. back to him. He refused to say whether Brown v. Board of Education, That's which right. outlawed segregation, whether that was a good decision or a bad, you don't get many substantive <laughs> you answers, get answers that you don't know the answer to and already. And they're coached, they're coached to not answer, oh, right? This yes. is the way it goes. Who's the Republican on the Judiciary Committee? most likely to vote for Jackson, or is that not going to happen, June? Well, I would have said Lindsey Graham because he's voted for other nominees and because he voted for her before. He did. But he, as you know, I was on the show when you mentioned that he came out and tweeted right after she was Mm -hmm. nominated that it was the far left doing this. And he mentioned today that he wanted to talk about dark money and ask her why these groups are behind her. She's not going to answer that either. Well, he he went there again today, June. I'm glad that you mentioned this. Listen to Lindsey Graham, who, of course, was prepared to vote to confirm someone else on the short list from his state. Right. We heard a lot about Judge Childs uh, at that point and, and, and was preferred as well by uh, Congressman Clyburn, which is partly how we got here uh, with the idea of having the first black woman on the court. This is Lindsey Graham earlier today. Justice Child, Judge Childs would have gotten 60 plus votes. There have been people in my caucus that would have voted for her, even though we knew she would be a reliable liberal vote, because I and Senator Scott would have stepped up. Now we're picked, now we're facing a choice sponsored by the most radical elements of the Democratic Party when it comes to how to be a judge. They have the most radical view of what a judge should do. And you were their choice. Imagine sitting there as the nominee (laughs) hearing a former chair of the judiciary say if they had picked someone else would have gotten 60 votes. Is that actually true, June? Does anyone think that was real, the math he just presented? I don't think 60 votes. They would have got, I think she would have gotten his vote and perhaps he could have corralled a couple of other senators. But 60 votes? I, I mean, I doubt it, but I thought that that was Tim so Scott, uncomfortable for her to be sitting there. I mean, she can't respond to what was done and why they picked her. She can't answer those questions. It just seemed really out of place. And, and, I, and so all my thoughts of, oh, this is going to be a very subdued hearing went yeah. out the window went, just when he started, which was pretty early on in the, in the that hearings. That was, uh, he was, I think, the third uh, Republican to speak. You're right about that. It definitely set the tone. So are, are we playing into this, June? Or is, you know, sometimes you get telegraphing like this, you show up, it's a snooze fest. Or is this going to be bare knuckle tomorrow? Well, 
I I really can't tell. I would have said it would be bare knuckle, but Josh Hawley already seemed to be a little less, you know, uh, on the offensive when he spoke yeah, than he was in his tweets where he basically said, you know, she was soft on on the defendants who are child pornographers or yeah. whatever he tweeted when he started yeah. that last week. So maybe they'll it'll be a little more subdued. I mean, you can expect the 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 regular questions that we're going to get about her opinions in the Don McGahn case, mm-hmm. about you know her her work as a criminal defense attorney and representation of Guantanamo detainees. Although some Republicans, I think John Kennedy was a Republican who said, "I don't hold it against any lawyer." You know, who they represent. And actually, Lindsey Graham said that as well. So maybe that's not going to be as much of a part of this. But the soft on crime thing is going to be a theme. And it'll be very interesting to see how these members get to it. June, it's great to have you. As always, let's not make this the last time we talk this week because it's important stuff. Bloomberg Law host June Grasso, if you ever picked a week to listen to June, this would be it. And to June's point, we did hear from Josh Hawley. Interesting. Well, he was trying to clearly be respectful. Having been, you know, splashed around the headlines over the weekend, we knew he was going to go in for that line of attack on the child porn cases. But he was respectful as he spoke to the nominee. Some have asked, why did I raise these questions ahead of the hearing? Why not wait until the hearing and uh, spring them on Judge Jackson, as it were? And my answer to that is very simple. I'm not interested in trapping Judge Jackson. I'm not interested in trying to play gotcha. I'm interested in her answers because I found in our time together that she was enormously thoughtful, enormously accomplished, and I suspect has a coherent view and explanation and a set of thinking, way of thinking about this that I look forward to hearing. The fastest hour in politics rounds the corner here and reassembles the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. As I read on the terminal, GOP senators say they will probe Jackson about her work as a public defender and her representation of alleged terrorists held at the U.S. Naval Base at Guantanamo Bay. Gitmo, Republicans seeking to use the hearings to question the president's commitment to law and order. Isn't that what this is all about, Jeannie? It's, everyone knows, I think, how this ends. Democrats can do this all on their own if they want to confirm uh, Judge Jackson. Kamala Harris can take the motorcade right down Pennsylvania Avenue and shut the whole thing down. But this is creating a case. This is, this is a much longer-term, broader narrative about law and order, about being soft on crime, about defund the police. What do you think? You know, it, it is stunning. I, I was looking at the first woman confirmed, Sandra Day O'Connor, 99 to nothing. And mm. we are looking at the first African-American woman. To your point, she will be confirmed. It'll likely be 51 to 49. I don't know if Rick thinks, you know, they'll get one Republican. I really doubt it at this point. Both of them equally wonderfully qualified women. It speaks to the times. I mean, starting with Robert Bork, we've seen incredibly contentious Supreme Court hearings. The partisan divide has gotten worse. The polarization has gotten worse. And of course, we're in an election year where people like Josh Hawley are playing to the cameras. So the litany of descriptions he talked about, you know, 
this this you know her being soft on sex offenders and yeah. child predators and and you child know and you just thing. mentioned you know, her her representing alleged terrorists i mean she sounds like a horrible person but it's perfect for the commercials if you think about it huh. and that's well, where that's where we are i mean they're making midterm election commercials at this point and they're using hearings which by the way the american public deserve to hear from her it's the last time they have to she'll serve for life once she's on there 30 40 right. years as long and we deserve to have a really profoundly important hearing, but we're not going to get it. We're going to get this political back and forth, getting sound bites for commercials, and it, it's distressing. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It is, but it's also just that's the game now, right, Rick? I mean, can, can she get a single Republican yes? Uh, on the committee. I, on the committee? No, yeah, I don't no. think there's anybody on the committee that's likely to uh, move over to the other side and vote uh, to report her out. And and they know they don't have to. She'll still get out, and she's going to get voted on. And I think there's a fatalism uh, within the Republican ranks that they're they're not really trying to challenge uh, mm-hmm. her nomination. She They know she's going to pass, and they know she's going to serve. Mm-hmm. I think this is an opportunity to register – because of her background and her her uh, history on the bench, uh, certain, uh, I think, protests against this administration, especially on uh, crime, which is a increasingly important issue, you know, to the American public. What's the potential for backlash here, Rick, uh, with the first black woman nominated to the court? They'll have to comport themselves carefully. Yeah, and I think that they're already preparing to do that, right? I mean, they don't want to see what happened to Judge Kavanaugh Mm -hmm. because then they lose that hook when they get the next Republican up uh, to say, look, you know, we we behaved ourselves, um, you know, with with, uh, Judge Jackson, and we expect you to do the same next time one of our uh, candidates come up. Uh, So they they want that high ground. And I think that, you know, Senator Hawley expressed, uh, as your clip pointed out, the, the the kind of approach. Hey, look, we've got we we're going to grandstand the issue. Yep. We're going to ask you to answer these questions. I mean, look, I mean, there are there are guidelines uh, for sentencing of child pornography uh, for ninety seven months minimum that Judge Jackson gave three months for. That's yeah. a legitimate question to ask the judge. Uh, and and I don't think he's going to do it in a in a too dramatic way. Although they they all play Marcia their Blackburn character as well, right? Uh, yes, <laughs> exactly, they do. It's going to be interesting to see who plays bad guy here. There'll have to be a couple of them, I I suppose. You call it distressing, Jeannie, and I suspect that it is. Uh, but, but the judge isn't going to answer anything, right? The, I mean, she's also been carefully prepared for this. Yeah, and that's part of what I think is distressing, quite frankly. It is that all of these nominees, it's not just this nominee, it's all of them in the modern era. They the are, they are, Yeah, they are told not to say anything specific, whether it's about abortion or anything else. They pretend as if they have no views. They haven't been living in this world, even though she comes double grad from Harvard. So, you know, that's, that's the way this game is played. These senators are going 
going to ask questions she's not going to answer. And that's what I mean by distressing, because, again, we live in a democracy. This woman will serve yeah. on the court and for 30, 40 years, and we will not have the opportunity to hear much substance from her on the critical issues. And to me, that is a distressing, not about these senators or her, but about the way our system has evolved over yeah. time. And they are quite frank, frankly incentivized to do exactly what they're doing. You both see her being confirmed in the end, though. Yes, Jeannie? Absolutely. 51. I, yeah. I think she gets 51 and, and no Republicans at this point. That sounds like you feel the same way, Rick. Yeah. And there might be a stray that uh, uh, goes to vote for her, but nothing beyond that. Need to ask you both about Jay Powell. And by the way, we'll have coverage of the confirmation hearings uh, for the rest of the week. They run through Thursday. But this was a big market mover today, as you've been hearing uh, Charlie Pellet discuss the Fed chair, Jay Powell, speaking here in Washington, not in a Fed meeting, but at the big NABE meeting, Mike McKeeven came down. This must be important. And man, did he drop the bombshell. Are you kidding? Did he not just kind of say that we were wrong? Forget transitory. It's more than that. You know, the expectation going into this year was that we would see basically see inflation peaking in the first quarter, then maybe leveling out and then see a lot of progress in the second half. Okay. That story has already fallen apart to the extent it continues to fall apart. What? Uh, my colleagues and I may well reach the conclusion that we'll need to move more quickly. And if so, we'll do so. The story's falling apart, uh, Rick. People were telling him that a year ago. Does this reflect back on the Biden administration or is this a Fed problem? Oh, I, I think it's a Fed problem, but it reflects really poorly on the Biden administration because they were echoing him this whole time. Exactly. They were echoing those same things and never really pulled out. They let Powell you know, run lead on this. And for him to the, sort of retread that turf, uh, honestly, oh. I mean, it was shocking to me. But look, he was laying out a much more hawkish approach to inflation than he said in the past. So I guess he felt compelled to relitigate that. But I don't yeah. think it does him or anybody else any any good. It's certainly good fodder for election campaign commercials oh. coming up in this cycle. Yeah, I can do the before and after is going to be remarkable on this one, Jeannie. So, I mean, look, forget politicians for a minute. The market was right. The market never bought transitory. And now Jay Powell comes out with it. Does Joe Biden need to say the same thing? You know, it's going to be interesting to see how they communicate about this. I mean, they went months saying transitory. Now, all of a sudden, it's, you know, they've turned into these hawks. You know, yeah. I, I think Biden's going to avoid it as much as possible, try to let the Fed handle it. And I think that's what Powell is signaling at this point. But it certainly is quite an abrupt about face, if you will. Yeah, well, it's uh, this this is going to set the stage for some interesting confirmation hearings for the other open seats on the Fed, because that is the Biden administration. Those are Joe Biden's fingerprints uh, here, Rick. And this is going to change the line of questioning, won't it? Uh, yeah, it, it should change the line of questioning. And I think that uh, uh, this administration has got a lot to come up with uh, when it comes to their own plans uh, to, to to battle inflation and, and, and to try and move the economy forward, which is no easy task now that we have a shooting war in Europe. So um, I think this president has a lot of pressure on him right now. And I think the one domestic pressure that he's got to get uh, a plan up in front of the American people is is on the economy and on inflation. Well, I wonder if he got a heads up on that speech today. I suspect that he did, uh, Jeannie. After deferring to the Fed, I suppose we're going to hear a lot more about an independent Fed, are we? Don't ask us. Call Jay. Here's his number. That's right. That's right. Stay as far away from the Fed. Jay Powell, let them handle it and move on because there's not a lot the president can do except mess up the communication once again, which, you know, wow. we hope that they've straightened it out at this point. All right.
Rick and Jeannie, great talk. You know, I miss these two guys all weekend. It's like I, you know, got nobody to pull me in off the ledge here or provide the analysis we count on every day. Women's History Month. It's time to hear from Renita Young on this 21st of March. Here she is. On this day in women's history in 1969, women from the feminist group Red Stockings organized a public hearing entitled Abortion Speak Out. It was held at the Washington Square Methodist Church in New York City's Greenwich Village. At the time, the radical feminist group was furious that hearings about abortion featured only male speakers. The debate at the time focused on rape, incest, or health of the mother. The group wanted to provide women with a platform to speak out, share their experiences with illegal abortions, and shift the debate to what they believed a woman's right to choose. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. Renita, thank you, and I appreciate you being with us for the fastest hour in politics. Thanks to Rick and Jeannie. Ward Carroll, check him out on YouTube and hear more of that. If you're an airplane geek like I am, always something to learn from Ward. And June Grasso is going to be worth listening to this week with the confirmation hearings. This is why we have Bloomberg Radio on the presets, right? We'll check markets and traffic on the way. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.